Welcome to the Vehicle Network Podcast, a networking platform connecting those with an interest in automotive investigations. Hi, I'm Noel Loudon and welcome to the Vehicle Network Podcast. The Vehicle Network is a networking platform for those with an interest and passion for automotive investigations. And this podcast can be found at www.the-vehicle-network.com where you will find a page that will link through to all major podcast platforms and take the um, podcast with you wherever you go. Um, You can also subscribe to the uh, newsletter where we share the information first via email, and that should be on the landing page of that website. Um, So without further ado, um, it's time to welcome this episode's guests. Um, for an insight into um, vehicle system forensics and automotive cybersecurity. Um, it gives me a great pleasure to welcome to the Vehicle Network podcast um, Gareth Davis and Marta Danian from a University of South Wales here in the United Kingdom. Welcome to the Vehicle Network, guys. Hi, good afternoon, Neil. Hello. Hi, everyone listening to the podcast. Hi, thanks for joining us today. Um, it's a really interesting um, time for the automotive industry and those people charged with um, those investigations. And I've probably known yourself, Gareth, for the last five or six years and know you've done a tremendous amount of work in this um, area for both the university and, and other agencies as well. And I guess this podcast has sort of come about a relatively short notice in some regards um, in respect of the survey that... Um, uh, Matt is running at the moment um, to try and get some information for a dissertation. And there is a, a survey out there that we're going to talk about in the podcast amongst other topics surrounding um, the subjects of vehicle system forensics and automotive cybersecurity. So I think if we could start just by um, asking you to give um, you know brief introductions as to your backgrounds for the benefits of the listeners. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Marta. I'm currently a student at the University of South Wales. Uh, I'm doing a master's degree in computer forensics, and I'm also a volunteer for South Wales Police, where I will start full-time position uh, as soon as I graduate. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. I'm Gareth Davis. I work at the University of South Wales. I'm the director of the Cybercrime and Digital Forensics Research Centre, and I manage our secure cyber consultancy facilities. Probably worth mentioning a few advisory positions in the UK. I work with a forensic science regulator in the Home Office, the Ministry of Justice, and uh, the UK Forensic Capability Network with regards to research. I'm also chair of the First Forensic Forum, also known as F3. Yes, thanks, guys. Um, So perhaps want to start really with um, yourself, Gareth, around the sort of university and the sort of courses that students like Matter, you know, are coming on and finding an interest in vehicle forensics. How do those people, um, I guess, through the courses that are on offer, finally get through to sort of vehicle forensics? Because if I was to Google a vehicle sort of vehicle system forensics um, degree, I might struggle to find one from the sort of syllabus that's on offer. Um, what, are the, what are the routes in for individuals that are wanting to get into this field from the university's perspective? Very good question. Um, so we run an NCSC certified uh, computer forensics uh, master's program. Within that, we teach you know forensics from crime scene to courtroom. 
and we teach hardware, software, uh, general computing systems, and everything you need to basically be a computer scientist and a digital forensics examiner. So within that, we are exploring every sort of data acquisition opportunity from a hardware and a software level. So to keep the course fresh, um, it's always refreshed with what we're doing in our consultancy and what we're doing in our research labs. So as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we've been looking at vehicle forensics for about six years now. So that has filtered down into teaching. Um, in some of our advanced classes, what we're doing is we're looking at vehicle data sets. We're showing how to back engineer results from log files that are unsupported by commercial off-the-shelf tools. Um, and we're looking at different acquisition methods such as JTAG, chip off, uh, ISP. So it naturally sort of comes about and sort of complements what we're doing with mobile device forensics. So I'm not aware of many universities doing this in the UK. I am aware of some exploring this uh, uh, in Europe. So I just see it as an emerging area at the moment. But if you're interested in vehicle forensics, then um, you're welcome to come and have a look at what we're doing, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's that's useful. And I guess from a student's perspective, Matt, uh, you know, is this something that's pricked your sort of attention around, you know, the specific area of vehicles out of the masses of digital devices out there for examination? Um, to be fair, I didn't really consider vehicle forensics before, before I came to university. Uh, and then it kind of naturally occurred during the course. Um, we were learning about mobile device forensics and that's that's when the vehicle forensics came in as well towards the end of my degree. Yeah. And I think it's really a, a valid sort of point of discussion really because as somebody like myself that's come into vehicle system forensics from a completely different background and, and perhaps want to, you know, want to take a career on in vehicle system forensics or I'll look to um, you know, people that we're working with in UK law enforcement that want to try and get educated around this type of work. It, it's, you know, wh where, do, where do I go for this sort of information? And because things are changing so rapidly in the automotive industry and the different technologies on a vehicle and the different sort of devices that, uh, you know, that can be found requires sort of a hybrid of skill sets that you, you're sort of pulling in facets of information and um, knowledge from different areas to sort of mold that particular area if it's if it can be defined as vehicle system forensics I guess yeah um, so I kind of take it from a teaching perspective I'm teaching firstly the hardware um, it's important to know hardware because our data either lives on a a hard disk or, or a chip so getting access to that information acquiring that forensically is step one then, of course, we need to know what operating system we have in our data set and how we can basically mount, parse, and interpret that data. And then it comes down to the individual artifacts and being able to make them make sense and make them you know, uh, robust and make them hopefully evidential or intelligence-based. So we kind of tackle forensics like that. So we talk about all the operating systems, all the data types, all the hardware, um, and then basically everything that might walk into a digital forensics lab that needs examining. So we started looking at 
the car forensics challenge about six years ago, just because we were having difficulties acquiring some mobile phones. And we thought, well, with our academics hat on, um, has that phone been paid with a vehicle? And is that lower hanging fruit? Is that easier to get? I mean, you both know, no, that's not typically the case at all. It's usually much harder. And I guess that's what um, sort of made us push and look at the problem a bit more seriously. So about six years ago, I gathered up some research money I had um, and I set about creating a project for a set of my master's students. So we bought about 10 units uh, online, secondhand used, um, and then we put them through a digital forensics process in our student lab that's fully equipped with everything you might like to use. And we just looked at how easy or how difficult it was to interact with these systems and actually get some results out at the end. So the paper's called Automotive Forensics, a call to arms basically, because what we could show is for about 40% of systems, we were able to get data and we were able to make it make sense and have it become useful in an investigation. And then there were a number of systems where we had hard drives that were ATA locked. Um, we had systems that were unsupported like QNX in our traditional forensics tools. So we highlighted all the major challenges really. Um, and I've been rinsing and repeating that study with students and independently for the last five years. Um, and this is why Marta's project, which is the survey to define the state of the art now, is looking back at five years ago and seeing where we were in that first seminal study and then trying to bring it up to date and share that with law enforcement, basically. Absolutely. And um, it's thanks you know from the community that you've got the um inclination and the tenacity and the appetite i guess to to tackle that particular issue from a, a academic you know from an academic background and with the you know resources of students coming through and various courses that are interested in this area like marta to to take that on and, and to take that forward and to be able to feed that back into um, you know, the community of those practicing, um, you know, vehicle system forensics or automotive cybersecurity as it as it will no doubt develop or already has developed to that sort of um, area as, as I'm sure we'll get on to. Um, I guess then if we move into the survey, Marta, and just have a look at some of the questions that are on there, because I think, that, you know, there are really thought-provoking questions and sometimes difficult to answer as well. But um, by hopefully you're getting a good response from that it will contribute greatly towards you know where to take this forward and perhaps highlight some of the issues that we are experiencing here in in the middle of 2021 um so that it will be a useful full tool to go on to so can you just for the listeners tell us where we can find that survey at and how long it's got left for it to be completed so the, the survey is available on Forensic Focus in the Education and uh, Training section. Uh, I'm looking to close it down in about two weeks to be able to do my write-up for for the deadline I have in early September. Okay, and that forms part of your dissertation in respect of a computer science degree as well, does it? Uh, it's computer forensics degree. Yeah, yeah, apologies. Um, 
interesting questions that are on there and um i'm perhaps going to highlight some of them as we talk about them now um and the one that really stood out initially is the second on the list the you know the legislation around this and the acts that um, are in place and the frameworks that are in place for this type of activity um obviously the survey will will be global and there'll be people working under different um you know laws and legislation you know across the globe um, we can sort of feed back from what we have the frameworks to work in with the UK, but I think it's important to get that global perspective um, in respect of how people are, you know, doing this type of work. And it is because of, it is it is at some point in the future, um, you know, going to need a framework and legislation around that. Um, what have you seen as respect of um, any legislation that um, would be here in the UK or framework around vehicle system forensics before you sort of started this or what's prompted that particular question? Um, so I was looking at international standards, particularly ISO 17020 and 17025. Um, with regard to UK-based legislation, I didn't really consider <clears throat> any particular acts. It wasn't until a few responses I got from the UK that highlighted the PACE Act. Yep, Police and Criminal Evidence Act, 984. For those listeners that uh, may not be familiar with that in the UK, and that tends to govern a lot of the sort of law enforcement procedures here in the UK from um, various different elements of of um you know investigation and how the police um are able to contact co conduct the investigations they they uh they carry out and i would i would echo that really um in respect of um the police and criminal evidence act in the uk would um, no doubt have uh, a part to play in in vehicle system forensics i'm sure and the other things that you know strike me when we kind of do this work for um in the insurance sector and you know it's not just law enforcement that are going to have to deal with vehicle system forensics that are going to be you know um the insurance sector that um are going to have to deal with this this as well is you know personal data and um having that authority to access that information and who does that data belong to and it, it kind of is a difficult area to tackle in some regards because unlike a phone that may contain personal information that's owned by an individual, you know, motor vehicles are, you know, hired. So in that situation, who's the owner of the data, the hirer or the driver, um, vehicles are stolen and you're looking for, you know, owner's permission to get that. And, and some owners, as we know, you know, probably not aware of the extent of the data that's being collected about them, even though it might be in the small print with the manufacturers um, in the documentation, the issue at the point of sale. So I think it's really important that people have an understanding that, um, you know, there, there has to be some legislation that backs that up, whether it be court orders or, or how we're accessing that information. It'd be useful to get that back from the, you know, from the survey for you to see what other countries do and how they do it. And I'm sure at some point we are going to encounter some either, you know, case law or, um, you know, some type of um, lead on it whereby something happens and a decision is made as to, um, you know, the regulation on that. Yeah, it's a very, very topical uh, sort of issue that's being highlighted through some of the doctoral students we've got here at the university working on their PhDs. They're looking at the nature of connected vehicles, what information they're sending back to the manufacturers, how they are doing it, what is stored locally. What happens when you drive your car to France? Um, you know, different things all around that. 
kind of area. So it's it's quite a grey area. Um, Angela Mason is um, leading up that in her PhD at the university. We're going to be happy to share that information um, with law enforcement, maybe through Marta's work as well, because we have some some details ready to go. And as you say, no data sanitization um, and cybersecurity. So we're seeing older systems kind of storing data in raw format. This is how we, we are getting hold of the data to have a look and examine it. Um, but from an end user perspective, if I sell my car on um, or I'm hiring a vehicle, then there can be lots of different data sets being cross-contaminated. And that's something that we're not really seeing tackled largely at the moment. We are seeing manufacturers encrypt their systems now. I hate to bring up that word, but it's always going <laughs> to be coming down the line. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. Um, but we'll just get into the way um, of doing mobile device forensics current day as we do vehicle forensics in the future. We'll be using similar tools and techniques to get around that issue when we need to lawfully have a look and examine data. But the encryption, I feel, is the manufacturers almost protecting themselves at the moment from cyber attacks that we've seen in the wild, where cars have been used as trusted sources on a corporate network and used to attack said network. So I'm not sure they're yeah. doing it for the end user right now, but probably themselves. But we need to have a conversation about our data on vehicles as well, as you absolutely point out and you're right to. Yeah, one hundred percent. I would echo those uh, thoughts, um, Gareth, around the, you know, the security and the, um, you know, the risks that the manufacturers have got to mitigate around, um, you know, the security of these, um, you know, transport systems that you know going to, going to roll out across the globe and, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest forms of transport for us. One of the other areas I wanted to talk about in the survey, which. I think it's really important because I've sort of spent quite some time on this um, and it's the steps from um, the crime scene to data analysis and the, you know, what, what format does somebody follow from a point of, right, there's a vehicle to the point where you're in a courtroom presenting evidence of the vehicle was in a location at a given time or the vehicle was traveling at X miles per hour at the time the incident occurred. And it's probably fair to say that there's um, a lot of people in law enforcement in the UK doing this type of work now, and it's becoming more commonplace and more routine. But it's how are they doing that and what's the standard that people should be doing that to? And from my background of dealing, dealing with serious crime and um, collision investigations, You've got to have a, you know, you've got to have a method as to how you go through things. You've got to consider things when new things crop up. You've got to try and take account of that in your next examination or as things transpire in a trial. You've got to try and factor those into those processes that make sure it's, it's, you know, it's robust and that there's a good quality management system in there. And whilst I've spent a lot of time developing our, our you know, our own standards around that. Um, it would be interesting to get that information back globally to see how one person does it versus another. And this is nothing new in in forensic activities. And I guess that leads a little bit into the ISO standards of, you know, why we need that regulation, really. But it's a question for me is, you know, who's going to drive that forward and who's going to set that standard? And I don't know if you've got any views on on that or has that formed part of the basis of why that's in the survey? 
Yeah, we do have some views um, and we have some thoughts and feelings on some of the literature that's available um, with regard to this topic. So to talk about this survey, we've got quite a number of responders already that filled out the survey. We'd love more, please. Um, especially from the United States, you have around 50,000 digital forensics units. So uh, more data from the States would be great. So we've got information and input from Japan, Australia, Singapore, many countries in Europe, uh, obviously the UK and now America. So we're looking at the global picture and it's one that's a bit hazy. Nobody really seems to have the same methodology. Some people point to the scientific working group for digital evidence document that talks about vehicle forensics. Um, that has got some guidance, which is around powering down a car effectively and then removing the power to the battery to the system um, and we've just looked at it from well okay let's look at it from a vehicle perspective how do we physically approach the vehicle um, of course that might be different because manufacturer to manufacturer system to system there'll be little nuances is it a wet forensics problem first or is it a digital forensics problem first do wet forensics impact on the data set that we would like to um preserve i.e they could be opening the doors they could be moving the vehicle and that obviously could overwrite data we might need for our investigative purposes um so who gets the vehicle first that's a good question um are we qualified to be pulling out these systems from vehicles? Uh, we're not auto electricians. We, we would propose that maybe an auto electrician training up to level two in the UK standards should be part of vehicle telematics forensics unit. So you've got the, the competency angle covered there for doing this work, because as you know, no, um, not all of these vehicles are in collisions some of them go back out onto the road so when we're taking these systems out and putting them back in we need to make sure the car is safe to drive on the road um, after that fact then um what about transportation of the vehicle how is it transported so if it's a connected vehicle are we disconnecting the battery if we are going to do that are we powering up the system to collect any volatile information in the system via photographs first um do we have a Faraday bag big enough if we're not doing that to put a car in to get it back to a lab. Some labs are secure, so you don't want the GPS location being broadcasted or known. Um, yeah. And then it's, well, you know, what are we doing with systems from that point of view? In the UK, I work with a forensic science regulator on implementing 17025 additional forensics units and making that more easy and more approachable and more streamlined and effective to do so that's all about method validation testing so we we are doing that now for regular systems um mobile phones slowly but surely but vehicles you know they're all the way off on the fringe so we're not sure yeah. how to do that properly yet and i'll give a shout out to the defense science technology labs in the uk um they're actually trying to tackle that problem and they'll be sharing that with law enforcement testing some of the commercial off-the-shelf tools um, and just sharing those results with regard to the integrity of the data, the repeatability and the validation of using those processes. So yeah. then you've got to get into a, 
a courtroom. I mean, that's the apex of an investigation, isn't it, Noel? And then you've got to try and explain all these complicated systems and how reliable they are. And it's just a multi-layered problem. So that question is there just to soak up as much information from as many people doing it their own way, I would suggest, um, to try and get a baseline for, for the benefit of everyone. And I, yeah, I'd have to commend you on that because it's only through speaking to other people when you do this type of work that you think, oh yeah, I need to include that in 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 my examination that somebody's not thought of or something some somebody's encountered, and I don't think you can have enough responses to that particular way that people do things, and I yeah. and I don't think people should be afraid to commit to that answer in the way that they do something because they could be doing something that's of real value to other people that nobody else has considered and. And that sort of is the ethos behind a little bit of this podcast and the vehicle network is to bring those people together to share that information. So if um, listeners are um, doing examinations of this nature, then I would uh, really urge you to, uh, you know, take some time over filling that particular point out because it's, it's really important that we do get that benchmark around what should be and what shouldn't be included. And out of all the things that you've mentioned there, we've yet another subject to tackle on that front, which is electric vehicles and the dangers that those present to um, not only first responders to, um, you know, incidents that have to make them safe at the time, but when then the vehicle is to be examined by a vehicle system forensics examiner at some point down the line, then we've, um, you know, some real issues over safety of staff when they are, carrying out those um, examinations as well. And um, that in itself is, is going to present, you know, probably an isolated problem for some investigators who have no knowledge around electric vehicles. Yeah, you make a very good point. I mean, this is a ever-changing landscape and it's going at a rate of knots. Um, I wanted to just bring in something we've previously mentioned. Um trying to set that standard. So South Wales Police and Gwent Police are coming together and they're working with the Forensic Collision Investigators Network to develop a standard operating system um, procedure for 17020 around vehicles. Now, I think from a digital forensics perspective, that would be great for us to learn from your world, the collision world, no. Um, so hopefully that can help us with the approach and the collection and the preservation side of it. So um, the survey has been made available to the Forensic Collision Investigators Network in the UK, and we're hoping to see a new perspective, um, a different perspective on on that. So that should be quite interesting. And to segue back to electric vehicles, somebody's doing something with electric vehicles because they have come across, and Marta has also seen some scripts on GitHub to um, parse and interpret Tesla logs. Okay. Somebody's yeah. doing something out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's just another um, part of the, not the problem, but the, you know, the, the, the world of, uh, you know, automotive uh, investigations around these topics, really, that, um, again, presents um, some challenges in, it, in its own right, really, on that front. Yeah. Elon um, Musk, if you're yeah. listening, please donate us a couple of Teslas for research. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll um, we'll we'll gladly take them and, and bring them down to you, no problem, or or probably send them by themselves. I don't know. Um, some other topics 
in the survey which do really interest me are you know the the tools and that links into you know um 17020 and 17025 around you know the validation of, of the tools that's used and you know for me having done this type of work in these examinations for a good number of years now it's um very evident to me that you know not just one tool is going to solve this issue you've got to divide your strategy around um you know what data types am i after from the vehicle and which tool is going to give me those um particular data types and sometimes we're using tools that are available to us but are, are maybe um a world away from sort of the standard digital forensics tools that we use you know for example diagnostics um equipment of which there are hundreds and hundreds of different um pieces of kit out there and some are good for some vehicles and some are good for others um whereby we're wanting to interrogate maybe individual ecus for fault codes and that gives us a, a method to do that um but it's one that you know that interests me from a how do i make sure that what this tool has given me is accurate and there can't be enough tools and enough methods really you know to to do this sort of work do you as the university invest in some of the diagnostic tools or other tools or are you just physically down to the main sort of digital forensic techniques of removing chips from modules rather than using the network as a communication that's where we started but um we are indeed on the can network so the university is quite lucky we have capsi as the center for automotive and power systems engineering so they primarily work for the high performance motorsport market the commercial market and general automotive so working with them we're able to use test beds to tap into different types of CAN networks and different types of automotive networks, do packet sniffing and do sort of live real-time forensics. That feeds into a project that I did for TALIS as part of the university, um, which looked at the connected systems of the future. The paper is called ResiCAV, uh, which stands for Resilient Connected Autonomous Vehicles. And it looks at, from a cybersecurity perspective, how they could be attacked as a network and then how we do instant response and real-time forensics on those. So going back to the ODB and the canvas, I think from an approach point of view, because we're not auto electricians and we're not vehicle experts or mechanics um, typically when doing these types of investigations they are brilliant to do firstly a fault code read to get us a a point where we can say what the condition of a vehicle is before we do anything to it um, there's also the opportunity to get data from ecus as you say i i quite like using uh, the delphi tools i've got the bosch cdr tool as well uh, for airbags and things like that, control modules, then um, obviously uh, using that, you can um, talk to the vehicle at a different sort of level and you can validate what some tools are giving you from an infotainment unit by also doing a read with something like an ODB2 tool. Um, and, and that's all feeding into 17025 and where we're going with this, I suppose. Yeah. Um... I don't think there's enough tools out there when the question is in the survey around um, do we need more vendors in respect to that? Um, 
with the solutions that have been provided to us for infotainment systems that UK law enforcement and a lot of the global population use in Berlo that have, you know, spent a lot of time and invested a lot of money in respect of um, coming up with non-destructive solutions to to recover this data for which, you know, to me as, a, as an investigator where I can get something quickly and it can solve a crime or lead me to the next point of an investigation very quickly in a non-destructive manner, um, you know, has to be, has to be commended. Um, it's difficult for um, them to produce a, a solution for every unit out there. And, and that's the problem that sometimes we come up against as investigators is, you know, investigator A will have a vehicle that we can quickly get data from and give them the solution. And then investigator B comes along with a different vehicle that just prevent, presents a totally um, different challenge. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, um, you know, whether any other vendors out there would potentially tackle this particular area as a specific sort of, um, you know, vehicle solutions, really, because the traditional mobile forensics people and computer forensics people at no point seem to have made that leap from phones to cars and they want to, you know, perhaps keep away from it for, for obvious reasons in the sense that the difficulties and the complexities that it, you know, that it presents. So do either of you have any, any strong opinions on whether or not there should be more tools out there and, and if so how do the vendors potentially tackle that great question great question so yes we'd love some more capability so over and above what we talked about previously the odb2 readers and things then obviously the infotainment module is is the thing we're most interested in and there's one commercial off-the-shelf tool at the moment um that is good at what it does it probably supports we see from the data we're gathering about 45 to 50 percent of vehicles that would like to be examined so there's a lot of room in the market i am aware that people are working on this in russia and israel so we might have some more tools coming our way soon uh, watch this space those are only rumors i'm picking up so um we'd love some more vendors to uh, sort of commit to this area um, and if we use mobile phones as an example you know you walk into a lab and you can pretty much guarantee you've got products from msab you've got products from celebrite you've got products from oxygen and all three combined you're probably going to get the job done um, and we'd like something like that for for vehicle forensics really so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of capacity in this space yeah, yeah, I'd certainly echo, I'd echo that um, in respect of just, you know, giving you that capability. It just seems that um, it's a very, in some regards, it's a very fast-changing um, world is the vehicle forensics, but then in some respects it's a very slow-changing one as well because I guess of the, you know, the multiple different platforms and the multiple different makes and models of vehicles that are out there um, and the challenges that those individually present to um you know investigators who just want the same thing if that makes sense um without realizing the complexities you know that can um that can occur in in trying to get that um that data for them um i don't think there's an age limit as well in the survey we talk about whether or not what's the oldest vehicle you've got data from um 
I know we've done something on a 2001 BMW where we've managed to get some connected device information and I'd never rule it out because I would class vehicle system forensics as potentially the other third party devices as well that come on to the vehicle. And um, just because a vehicle is old doesn't mean to say that it's not going to have some form of you know advanced capability with regards to either tracking um, or third party device fitted to it in respect of connectivity and people wanting to have those solutions of, you know, being able to stream and do things in the comfort of the car as a, as a mode of transport, um, even on an older vehicle. And we, we know from our experiences, investigators that people modify vehicles and, and what have you. Um, do you see a lot of other, so we say non-manufacturer products, and have been subject to any examinations at the university? Yes. So we've got a study that's going to start at the end of September where we're looking at the connected applications for most of the German manufacturers. So we're looking at what the app is capable of doing, what information it leaves on an iOS or an Android device. We're going to look at both. Um, and then we're going to see what the what the capability of our forensics tools are with regard to parsing and interpreting that data off the handsets for us. I'm not immediately aware of any vendors supporting the automotive car applications in forensic software tools at the moment. I could be wrong, um, but we're going to go through the study and look at it from a manual perspective and see what we can dig out. So, yeah, um, mobile phones are important. Going through mobile phones and pairing the device, I, I have been quite successful with data carving web traffic out of infotainment units as well. And that's something that I didn't immediately expect, but I have come to know to be true. And then, as you say, anything else connected to systems, third-party systems, um, they can yield data as well. And I remember... Um, I think a number of years ago, I'll give a shout out to Tony Sams. Um, those in the forensic community in the UK will know that name. Um, he did one of the first vehicle investigations I ever think I saw presented. I think it was quite close to that 2001 BMW that you mentioned, Noel. He was able to get some really good tracking data out of a control module. So as you say, the vehicle uh, age question was there just to sort of tease out where people are going and how far they are willing to go back i think that's that's something that kind of needs a little bit of time being spent on as well because as you know um and as you had your guest on last uh, last episode the uh, master technician from audi there are so many different vehicle variants trim levels uh, levels of sophistication in terms of the systems they have it's almost a bit of a minefield unless you've done the system before to say yes that's worth seizing and we're going to get the following things off a vehicle so i think some education and training and dissemination of knowledge with regards to that issue would be great because it could potentially save investigators a lot of wasted time and resource and it can just make investigations a bit more efficient really um so we've done some work around that for bmw i'm aware you've done some work around that for audi um and i think a bit more guidance in respect of what vehicles do hold would be would be great in the hands of investigators yeah 
No, I um, echo those sentiments exactly. And that sort of comes into, you know, strategy at, at the outset, really. And, and, and as part of our standards and quality management systems to consider these other elements and not just the vehicle, but the sort of ancillary things and what can be obtained from those to feed into those strategies. It's something we try to highlight to investigators and, and, um, point them in the direction, you know, has a mobile phone been seized as part of this investigation? If so, does it have the vehicle manufacturer's app on there? And could they have an account created? Because you could have vehicle data elsewhere on a mobile device or on a, on a manufacturer's server. Um, and developing those strategies and triage is something that uh, probably look at, um, Speaking of Graham Awesome of Perth, I think Teesside University, because he does a lot of um, triage for digital devices, and I'd love to get his his take on uh, sort of applying that in the vehicle sense. But what he's done for sort of those triage um, types of digital investigations could could well be served for the vehicle system forensics community as well, um, in respect of you know feeding that knowledge out um, back to investigators. Um, certainly, from our experience, sometimes. The vehicle is all you've got and the investigation team want to just explore every every opportunity and you know we'll try and do that and that's where we try to tap into third party devices potentially that may be on vehicles from um, you know from all the systems and even on a brand new vehicle it's not uncommon i mean i've literally just had an inquiry now you know for a vehicle and it's, it's nearly new, but when you look at its standard specification, it doesn't have sat-nav as standard, which some people might find that hard to believe, but not every vehicle does. And um, sometimes there's a misconception by investigators that it's a brand new vehicle and it's going to tell me exactly where it's been and everything else. But sometimes that data isn't there and it's, it's knowing then what's worthwhile pursuing and what's not. So some really, Absolutely really not. good... Yeah, some really good, really good points there. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about automotive cybersecurity and tap in a little bit more on that um, Tails project that you did during lockdown. Most of us were probably, I don't know, eating Maltesers, watching repeats of TV soaps or trying to work out how to do an interview online or um, something of that nature. But it sounds as though you were really busy with this project um, over there and it's, it's sort of like I feel as though I've got one foot in the sort of vehicle system forensics community and another foot on um, in the automotive sort of cybersecurity side of things because I, even from those two disciplines, I think there are different skill sets required for both those areas. And it is moving at a quick pace in respect to the technologies that are coming out there onto the, um, you know, connected and auto autonomous vehicles that and you know are, are on our roads now if we're honest um and i just wanted to get you know a little bit of information from you gareth around that study and perhaps the question i do have for you at the end of that is you know how real is a cyber security attack and what systems are in place to to counter that or or investigate it and find it's a trace that can be accountable back to somebody rather than just be a malfunction on a vehicle, for example? Thanks for that question. That's a difficult one, but I'll unpack it a little bit. Um, so yes, um, I remember it well, the beginning of lockdown in the UK, I was trying to work on this project. The project is called Project 
project Resicav, R-E-S-I-C-A-V, stands again for Resilient Connected Autonomous Vehicles. That's publicly available on a number of websites, TALIS, Hopi Myra, the university. And it's a, it's a piece of work that just talks about you know the elephant in the room potentially with all these new systems coming online the way vehicle is going the digital road and how trustworthy we are and if we all plug them in to charge at the same time will the power grid be able to cope and is that a denial of service attack in a form that uh, somebody could look to to run against us as a country so there's there's lots of things in the cyber and i like you feel like i've got one foot in the security world securing the systems making the data safe and the system safe but then also i want to be doing my examinations and i think the two actually go together just like in mobile device forensics because we're typically using exploits or manufactured backdoors to get into the modern day phones because they are so good at encryption and in storing the data securely. So I think they need to come together and work together. Um, so I'm making some recommendations uh, to some people that when you're building a vehicle forensics uh, unit that you might want somebody with a cybersecurity background that can develop over-the-year exploits for the car to um, give you a hook into a system or USB-based exploits or Bluetooth exploits, you know, to get that data out because we are seeing them encrypted now. So we might need to do live acquisition and those are the ways to do that. So what the project focused on from a security point of view basically is, well, things are changing. So the goal of ResiCab was to explore the technological and economic feasibility of developing, implementing, and operating a sustainable UK cybersecurity engineering capability to basically keep our cars on the roads, to keep them secure and safe for basically the future of you know mobility in the UK. So it looked at unpacking that as a as a large overhanging statement it looked at various things with regards to vehicles so formal methods how are things built so we defined the context and the terminology we used talked about the perfect storm in terms of security we looked at risk management of these new networks and these new vehicles being on our roads and connected to the uk infrastructure then we looked at, right, if we had an attack, what would that look like? What's the attack surface for vehicles? It's quite a large one, unfortunately. Uh, the propagation of maybe malware, um, so think ransomware on vehicles or denial of service attacks, but on vehicles. And that was looked at from a, a public perspective, but then also a, a policing perspective, a, a military perspective. We looked at digital forensics, pattern of life intelligence from these cyber physical systems. Pattern of life is something I'm very interested in, in digital forensics at the moment um, and stuff we're exploring to be able to talk about a pattern of life of a user from a system. And then we looked at simulation, detection of events, act and deploy, central intelligence of systems. So looking at it from a, a fleet management point of view, um, and then going down to the nuts and bolts and sort of looking at all the different systems being connected together, where did they come from, who has programmed them, um, and how how secure are they when ultimately connected. Um, I'm 
I'm kind of old school. I, I prefer a car that's not connected. I prefer driving my old Nissan, which is from the late 1980s, personally. Um, but we are going there. And so I think just from doing this project, we're kind of talking to the United Kingdom and saying, well, who's going to be responsible for what? What standards are in place? How are we going to protect everything? How are we going to test it? How are we going to keep it secure? And if something happens, what is our response capability to detect that problem and ultimately mitigate it and solve the problem? So that was the work I was doing in lockdown with a three-year-old and my wife working full-time as well. So that was a challenge. Well, I think I and a number of our listeners would, um, you know, um, thank you for that work because um, it's reassuring, I guess, to know that um, that type of work is is active and, and, and going on. And without it, it's, you know, going to cause certainly some issues for um, national security, I'm sure, at some point. So... I'm um, I'm I'm grateful for for that, and I think it, it will um, also set uh, as in good stead for a, a framework of automotive cybersecurity investigations going forward um, in the future as well. And there'll be um, a hell of a lot of knowledge um, gained from those people that have come together to you know to do that. Um, it's you know it's an interesting time, um, and there is um, you know a real big community of people ethically you know looking at these systems and rightly so um you know we've got black hat running this weekend and the kayaking village over there of which there will be some uh, some interesting um, revelations i'm sure and it's um testament to people like yourselves that are doing the work in the background to you know make sure those systems are safe so my personal thanks um for the efforts that you put into that um I think we're going to wrap up at this stage. Um, we've covered quite a lot of uh, information there, but before we do, uh, Marta, if you want to just tell us where people can go to complete this survey for one final time as they switch this podcast off, that should be the first thing that they're going to do. So the survey is available on Forensic Focus in the Education and Training section. Great stuff. I will look forward to hopefully meeting you in person soon. And um, the country does seem to be getting back to some normality whereby um, you know we can we can get together physically. But um, I wish you every success with the thesis and the um, res- research that you're doing and the results. I'm sure we'll all be um, wanting to <laughs> wanting to get our hands on as soon as that publication's done. So um, thank you very much for that, and thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Noel. Okay, that wraps up this um, episode of the Vehicle Network podcast. If you um, follow us on the platforms that you get your podcast from, then you will hear the next one as soon as it's released. Until next time, bye for now. Get networking with the Vehicle Network.